Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast. This is episode nine, nine weeks of the Work-Related Podcast. This podcast started when I came back from a hiatus uh, after doing another podcast, uh, also talking about work called The Truth About Work, Um, and you can find those episodes in the archive for this Work-Related Podcast. But the reason we did a hiatus is because I moved from Colorado to New York State and took a bunch of time off to get to get uh, situated and um, so we had a big backlog of topics <laughs> so at the same time we uh, restarted this podcast with a new name um, I also started a newsletter on LinkedIn and now nine weeks later that newsletter just hit 450,000 uh, subscribers so if you're not getting that newsletter I hope you'll jump over to LinkedIn and, and take a look Um, it's super exciting that a lot of people are getting on board with this human workplace message, which is a message about humanizing work, both from an organizational standpoint and an individual standpoint, asking questions about what you need in a job and how to get it and how to use your influence and the influence of the people you work with to shift work, the way we talk about work and the way work unfolds. So that's the topic company is called Human Workplace, and that's also the name of our newsletter. So, um, yeah, this is the ninth episode, and I've had a couple people say, I have a great guest for you. I have a guest for your podcast. And we haven't had guests before, but I'm super game to have guests on the podcast. So if you have somebody in mind who you think would be an awesome guest on the podcast, then let me know who it is, and we'll talk to them. And maybe we'll do an episode, talk about all different aspects of work and life and art and all the stuff that we're interested in. So yeah, the topic right now is resumes. And the reason that's a topic is because once a year we talk about resumes and I make my course, my online course, Write Your Perfect Resume, available. And that's happening right now this week, starting on Thursday, the 2nd of March. And it'll be available just for a few days. It kind of, we open the vault and the course is available. And then we don't make it available again for a year um, because we are doing a bunch of other things. However, our courses, which I personally think are awesome, online courses, they are always available through our coaches, the network of coaches on our website, uh, humanworkplace.com. The coach directory is at humanworkplace.com slash directory. And that's where you can find the coaches who trained with me to teach and coach our methods and mindset. And, um, and they can always uh, walk you through and coach you through our courses, like write your perfect resume, for example. But right now, anybody can purchase that course and, um, and, and work through it on a, on a um, self-study basis, except with me there by their side and our team on Slack on the on the in the art online community during the course and I'll be doing a live resume clinic as well. So if you're thinking about your resume and you want to work on your resume, jump in there and get this course, write your perfect resume. It's on a huge sale right now too. It's 30% off anything we've ever sold it for before um, because we A lot of people are job hunting. A lot of people want to work on their resume. And so this is a great chance to get the course and to get my help with it and to get the live clinic and all the millions of downloads and things that we also bundle with it. 
tons of ebooks and actually another another online course downloadable course called job hunt while you're working that we bundled into this package to just kind of give you everything we could think of that would be useful when you're job hunting so yeah that is happening it's resume week at human workplace okay so the question is what makes a great resume well the very first thing is your resume has to make it obvious what kind of job you want that's the number one thing that people um, that struggle with in their resume they go for here's all the stuff I've done you um, employer you figure it out and they just won't they just won't you have to narrow your branding so that it's really obvious what kind of job you want because you will never look qualified for every job or a huge you know list of jobs that just doesn't work that way I am old enough to remember sitting at my desk Back in the day in Chicago, young HR person, resumes came in the mail and I literally slit them open with my little thingy, what's it called, letter opener, <laughs> sharp little silver thing and unfolded the paper and read it. I read the whole thing and then I looked at our job ads because you can't hold someone responsible for having seen all of our job ads appearing as they did all different you know days in the paper Chicago Tribune or whatever the reader in Chicago back then the free paper I hope it's still publishing great paper the reader is part of the reason why I moved to Chicago from New York when I was 19 because my friend Greg brought it the reader copy of the reader I said oh this this is cool I want to move to this town and, and we did but we would compare someone's resume to our job ads and they would say, I'm interested in any job that my skills are a good match for or for which my skills seem to be a good match. That's what people used to say in a cover letter. And then we would look at their resume and we'd look at our job ads and we would do a matching exercise. That doesn't happen anymore. No one's going to do that. So your resume has to make it clear what kind of job you want. Crystal clear. And then it has to make the case. That means that every other job you've held you have to pitch it in the direction of the job you want and this of course is what I teach in the online course write your perfect resume but that's the most important thing about your resume it has to be crystal 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 clear what kind of job you want and then the resume has to make that case at all points in the direction of the job you want that's why I say all the time brand yourself for the job you want not every job you could conceivably perform you got to have a point on the arrow. Got to have a point on the arrow. That's the most important thing your resume has to do. I got tons of resume advice. If you have resume questions, of course, job search questions in general, interview questions or at work questions, leadership questions, HR, entrepreneurism, yada, yada, send them to me at support at humanworkplace.com and I'll answer your questions on an upcoming episode of the work-related podcast. Okay, there was a little news item this past week. You cannot make this stuff up. This was, it. what do they call it? Uh, so dumb. Uh, it, was a, it was a hybridization. It was a, what's it called? Portmanteau of residential and commercial or something it's too stupid to even talk about 
a living room setup in an office with the idea that this would woo people back to the office. Yeah, it's like a living room. There's like a fake fireplace and a sofa. So I kind of dissed that idea a little bit in a video that's on YouTube and wherever. No, this is not what people want in their office. There's a little fake living room and I'll feel so cozy. I'll bring my cat. That's not what people want. That's not why people are having difficulty coming back to the office. It's because home is just better. Big, you know, a, a, a disclaimer. Of course, not every job can be performed from home and not everyone wants to, to work from home. Understood. But for those folks who want to work from home, it's not because if only my office had a couch in it, then I would be happy to go to the office because nobody works on their couch anyway, not for long. They want to be home because that's where their bathroom is. That's where their mail delivery is. That's where their cat, their dog is. That's where maybe kids come in at three in the afternoon when they get off school. That's where they can prepare dinner a little bit in advance. That's where they can water their plants. I mean, it's just so much more conducive to living your life and then letting your work fit into your life, which is really the point, isn't it? It's letting your work fit into your life versus stopping everything in your life to, to put on different clothes and go in some kind of a conveyance, a car or a subway or a train, whatever, bus, to an office where that all you do is your work and maybe sneak off to the side to make a phone call, to make a doctor's appointment or check on something with a child or a relative or whatever. That That's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. There just has not been, for a really long time, there has not been a reason to force everybody to come into a building, a box, and stay there all day. I, I remember even in the 90s feeling like, this is kind of weird. Anthropologists of the future are gonna look at this and say, why was everyone in this box in the 90s when the technology had long since made it unnecessary for you guys all to be in this box together all day long? It is weird and now we're finally noticing that and saying, why, why, why did we do that? So for so long, COVID shook us out of our stupor to say, no, you don't have to be there in that box. Right. And all the hype about, well, it's better for the culture. No, how could it possibly be? Nothing can be better for the culture that is obligatory, mandatory, compulsory. You must be here but somehow it's better for the culture. That right there, that statement speaks volumes, doesn't it? When a leader would say, it's better for the culture when you're here. Yet not if I don't wanna be, how on earth could it be better for the culture if I would rather be somewhere else? So I think this shift is here to stay. I think this is a battle employers cannot win in the long term, along with a bunch of other battles. The, the cat is out of the bag, a lot of cats are out of a lot of bags. They're not gonna win the battle over working from home versus coming to the office. And they're not gonna win the battle over people discussing their salary. It's, it's illegal in the US to stop employees, prohibit them or threaten them for discussing their salary. Yet it still happens every day and that battle is lost. Employers have lost that one, of course. It's just too easy to talk about your salary and of course it's it's really good information to share because that's how you spot and deal with pay inequality, which is a huge problem. Still today, 
gender gap and, and all kinds of gaps. Any community that you can imagine might be underpaid relative to, you know, the dominant one. They, they are. <laughs> they are. So talking about pay is terribly important. It's a battle employers just can't win. They can't win a battle. They're not going to win the battle long term over dress code. That those the what I say, cat's out of the bag, the cow is out of the barn. It's just the times have moved on. They're not going to win. No, it's, you're not going to be able to not hire an employee as as a as a um, convenience store gas station slash convenience store chain called Sheets S H E E T Z was doing evidently up until just a week or two ago when they the the policy was made public they had a smile policy that you had to have a perfect smile you had to have straight teeth straight shiny white teeth to get hired at a convenience store who is the community uh, from which they're recruiting are these folks have high end dental care of course not have they had 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 orthodontia of course not what how absurd and how cruel and how unnecessary because People who are shopping at a convenience store are not evaluating the whiteness of someone's smile or the straightness of their teeth. They're, they're saying, is this person friendly with me? Are they attentive? Are they friendly? So things are shifting. They're changing. There's a there's an old paternalistic social set of social standards that we've applied to business and say, said your employer gets to decide on this stuff and gets to evaluate you on this stuff. And it's just slipping away. Not only because of a talent shortage, but also because of social norms saying, why would you want to be so cruel to eliminate or disqualify someone for who needs employment and could do a great job because their smile isn't pretty enough? How is that not, right? Just complete discrimination and so cruel and unfair. And, 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 and so in politics, we talk about the Overton window. That's the window of sort of acceptability. There's an idea that seems really out of left field and very extreme and radical. And then over time, public opinion shifts and that idea becomes less radical and then it becomes completely conventional. And it's in the center of the Overton window. And so so in, 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 in uh, culture, we have a window as well. It's not just politics. So for example, in, in, in politics, examples of the Overton window shifting over time would be like marriage equality, which was a radical idea, and then it wasn't, and became the law of the land. And, and also um, legalization of cannabis, radical idea for so long, and then it wasn't. And it, and it became the law in many places. Um, the prohibition against employers asking for or demanding salary history, that's not no longer legal in a little less than half of U.S. states. So we have these windows that shift. And now there are windows shifting around topics related to work. Topics related to work like this or that longstanding practice is not fair. And people are acknowledging that. And they're holding uh, leaders to account and saying, you know, you can't keep doing this thing that you may have been doing for 100 years, but it's not fair. And now people are talking about it and they're talking about it openly. So of course that makes me very, very, very happy. And it's really gratifying to see people kind of finding their voice and finding their power in these conversations, including leaders, including HR leaders, including department managers saying, you know, for my department and for my own integrity and my brand, here's my standards. And I need to work 
for people who are going to support that and align with that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Talked about what makes a great resume. We talked about living room at work. Okay. Hi, Liz. I quit my job and I've been invited to an exit interview. I'm really not a fan of those things. It feels like it could be risky to go. What do you think? Jordan. Okay, Jordan. First of all, congratulations. If you if you have a new job, congratulations. And if you don't, congratulations on beginning the exploration uh, uh, that will lead to your next project or adventure, whatever it is. So here's to you. Exit interviews are tricky because they come out of this old frame that I talk about all the time. This idea that, you know, on your way out the door, you sort of owe your employer some feedback. Specifically, they usually want to know why you're leaving. And that is just so tricky. That is so tricky because typically job hunting is not the most fun or easy thing in the world. And people don't start job hunting for the heck of it. Typically, by the time someone job hunts, they've talked to several people about whatever was on their mind. If there were something, people job hunt, they could be perfectly happy at work, but they get an offer. Maybe they're moving somewhere. They're in life shift in their life circumstances, of course, right? There are plenty of reasons to change jobs that have nothing to do with dissatisfaction on the current job. But in those cases where someone is unhappy, normally they've talked to people about it. Their manager, other managers, maybe HR, whatever. And and the problems that cause them to leave are not obscure. They're not secret problems. People know about them, but they haven't dealt with them. And often it has to do with their own manager. And they, they just can't deal with their manager. It's not a cool situation. So there is something about adding insult to injury when you're invited to an exit interview to tell an HR person, possibly the exact same person you've already been to see once or several times before to talk about your manager and they weren't able to help you and now you're leaving and they're like, so anyway, why are you leaving? Are you, are you kidding me right now? You remember when we talked? I wrote down the dates. February 6th, we talked about my manager and also December 17th. And then the very first time last October where you said, I'll see what we can do and nothing happened and I'm leaving. And so it's a little weird right now. You're asking me, why are you leaving? That's, that feels a little, Ooh, that feels a little painful because if you guys had gotten involved in this earlier, I actually might not be leaving. Now it's not the HR person's fault that your manager is difficult if they are, but From a process standpoint, it's not ideal. You mentioned, Jordan, that it might be risky to go to the interview, uh, exit interview, and it's true. It could be risky. It could be risky to you because if they don't like your feedback, they could slime you in the professional sphere. Unfortunately, it's a real thing that happens. And all of a sudden, you were a great employee, but they didn't like your exit interview feedback. They took offense, and now you're persona non grata, and they don't like you anymore. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself at risk? There's literally no benefit. People go to exit interviews and just spill their guts because they think, well, maybe it'll help the next person. I doubt it. I doubt it. The person who is listening to your exit interview is typically not in a position to do anything about the problem that you're describing to them. My advice, Jordan, is to send a polite email that says, thank you so much for the invitation to the exit interview. It's been wonderful working here. I just got, you know, an offer I really couldn't refuse. And uh, if you have questions for me, you know, if you want to send them by email, I'll do my best to answer them. I just wouldn't put yourself in that situation. As you said, 
risk and no reward. What's the benefit? Sometimes people say it can be cathartic to just unburden yourself with stories about maybe difficult things, challenging things that happen to you on the job. Then I would say write it in your journal. Honestly, tell your cat, tell your sister, you know, it just, there's no benefit to leaving on a note of here's all the things that, that were unfortunate or bad about. I mean, listen, in a company that, that is, is locked up and there's a lot of fear and, you know, the energy is not moving freely. 20, 30, 40 people can leave and give exit interviews with gory details for an hour and a half and nothing's going to change. So you don't want to be the 35th person or the 42nd person to say the whole same litany. And then you're all on a list of, of, uh, you know, enemies of the state, basically there's no benefit. So Jordan, good luck to you, but I'm not sure the exit interview is in your best interest. Okay. We have a question here. And uh, I did a LinkedIn poll on this before uh, I recorded this podcast. So just to see what people said. And the question here, great question is, hi, Liz, I started my job two years ago. They've inched up the starting salary. And now the new starting salary is exactly what I'm getting paid after two years on the job. Do I deserve a pay increase? So I did a LinkedIn poll on this because I thought it was such a great question. And 92% of respondents said, yes, you deserve a pay increase. And I agree, of course. If you started the job two years ago and they kept you, I assume you're not on double secret probation like in Animal House. Uh, If they kept you for two years, you're obviously doing a lot of things right. Yes, you deserve a raise because if that's the new starting salary, then that's the amount they've deemed appropriate to pay someone who has no experience in this type of work or this in this job. You're there doing this work for two years. Yes, you should get a pay raise. That's, we used to call that an HR rippling through. We raised the starting salary and we're going to ripple it up to, you know, not to the senior executive level, but certainly to the level of everybody who started and has progressed from this entry level or, or, or this initial job in the company. Yeah. So if the new starting rate is, let's say $17 an hour, and that's what you're getting after two years on the job, then the way that you would deal with that to avoid internal inequity, right? You want to keep that internal equity is you would say, okay, if the starting rate is now $17 an hour, then what would two years of whatever the standard increase is, let's say 4%, 4% is 17. Don't ask me to do that. 3468, um, $6,800, uh, or rather $6.80 uh, an hour, $23 an hour, something like that. A lot of companies aren't given 4%, but you know what I mean? So you would, they would calculate that and they would bump you up because if they don't bump you up, their message to every employee is, you know, good for the people who just started. But if you've been here a while, that's beyond salary compression, right? I talk about salary compression. You're not keeping up with the market because of this loyalty tax. You're in the same job, but this is worse. This is like, yeah, just, we're just going to wipe away the two years that you contributed to this company. It's like you just walked in the door. That's not a good message to send your employees or anyone. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You should get an increase if they've raised the starting salary to be exactly what you're earning now. Okay. I only got one more topic and uh, we will wrap up this podcast. And that is, Liz, is it ethical to recruit for an occupied job? I'm an HR manager. I've been asked to recruit for a job that someone is in. They want the new person to come in, train under, and then replace 
our controller. Of course, they will not tell the controller that this is the plan, but they will tell the new employee, is this ethical? Hmm. I've been asked to do that. I think a lot of HR people have been asked to do that. They call it a confidential search. No, you can do a confidential search, but not to replace an incumbent, as they call them, behind their back. I mean, talk about your old school backstabbing corporate cloak and dagger BS. That's absurd. No, especially in a financial position. They're going to say, well, we have to have, you know, somebody here. Yeah, then you should have built in redundancy from day one, right? You don't at the last minute say, well, now we have to, here, here, think about this. Think about this. You have this controller in a, in a financial, very responsible, financially responsible position. And you're going to tell candidates for a job, maybe not all of them, but the finalists, you know what, if you get this job, you'll be training under this person and then you'll replace them. But don't tell them, like, come here to work every day and pretend like you're fine being a subordinate to this person, but actually we have a secret plan because within three months you're going to stab them right in the back where we are, but you're going to hold the knife and then you're going to be here. And then that controller who's let go will know that through the whole thing, even when you were interviewing, you were in on it and who knows who else was in on it. And the HR manager was in on it. A bunch of people were in on it. I mean, this is like Fredo getting kissed by Michael Corleone in The Godfather before he gets whacked. This is ridiculous 1950s nonsense. No, of course, that's not ethical. I was asked to do that. And and same thing. It was a financial thing. And they thought it was cool. They thought it was good. I said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. And they said, well, we're, we're just going to start interviewing. We have contacts. We have people. We know we're going to interview them. I'm like, cool. I'll just tell the person that you're planning to whack. I'll just tell them. It's fine. I'll tell them, you know, what you're planning. Are you kidding me? We're not doing that. Sometimes you just got to say, you got to just slap, slap, slap. Like, no, what, I don't know what you're smoking, what movie you, you've been watching. That's absurd. We're not doing that. So yeah, you, you got to refuse. You got to say that's unethical. It's not responsible. Um, it's not, it's, it's completely opposite of anything we've ever said publicly or privately about ethics and our team and how we treat employees. And, you know, you just, you just say, I'm not doing that. And, um, if you have to go to your CEO, go to the CEO and say, this is embarrassing. It's really bad. Oh, we should talk about something more chipper and cheery before we, uh, before we leave here today. As I like to mention often, if you could use the help of a career coach, Human Workplace Network Career Coach, head over to our directory, humanworkplace.com slash directory. They are there. They're awesome. And they'll help you with your career job search situation. And if you would like to be a human workplace career coach, if, if it would be, you know, if it would help you achieve your goals to learn how to be a career coach with my help and start your own coaching business and uh, be part of our network and teach our methods and mindset, I would love to hear from you. Liz, or rather support at humanworkplace.com. Have a great week. Send me your questions. And if you have anybody in mind that you think would be an amazing guest, on the podcast. I would absolutely love to hear from you. Take care.